What's up, everybody? It's getting worse. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. I'll get. We'll figure it out after losing Oak Brook. Uh, kind of yeah. go. Gotta find going downhill, that. man. Yeah, gotta find that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome everybody to another episode of the Alternative Blacks podcast. This is episode something. I should know these. This piece of information. Is this 41, 42? It feels like 41 or 42. Joe Budden doesn't know the episode. He has to be told every time. So, okay. I mean, we're essentially Joe Budden podcast. In his defense, how many episodes are there? 300-something. Okay. We have far less. We're, we're on our way, though, right? We're Sorry. on the way. Yeah. Um, before we get into today's topic, let's give a shout-out to one of the Kickstarter uh, supporters who – signed up for this uh, advertisement, essentially. We gave them two months of support, essentially. And they actually hit us up with a really cool email when they first responded and they were on board with this. I think they want to get together with Harris Family Brewing Company. And I think it's two brothers down here in Philadelphia uh, that are creating the first Black-owned brewing company in Philly as well. So I think, you know, as things are opening up, now that it's mid-January, um restaurants are kind of actually allowing people to be inside now in philly which is huge nice so they will be able to get down there but this is love city brewing company and love city brewing company they believe that beer is for everyone they offer quality beer and a welcoming and accessible taproom in the heart of philadelphia which is located at 1023 hamilton street philly pa 19123 um, I've had the opportunity to have their beer a couple times. I've also had the opportunity to check out their place and they have like food trucks that come around. So that was cool. I think awesome. one of our stickers may be up on the wall now too. So, you know, shout out to Love City for supporting the show through the Kickstarter for being a uh, brewery that really does what we are looking for breweries to do. And make it more of an inclusive thing. You know, we always right. kind of talk about how craft beer community doesn't necessarily go out of its way to exclude anybody, but they don't try to welcome anybody at the same time. And I think Love City is doing some of those things. And so I would, can't wait to talk to them. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's uh, their support from like day one, you know, has been amazing. You know, once we reached out and kind of, with the original Kickstarter way back when, and just like the support and the engagement that they've shown since that point, um, unprompted has really been awesome to see. So really excited that, that that's the first, uh, that's the first group that we're going with. Uh, really happy that they supported and I can't wait to actually get to them because I haven't been personally myself. Uh, we got to make that yet. happen. We'll see if we can set up a uh, interview there. But check them out, lovecitybrewing.com. You can email them at info at lovecitybrewing.com. You can also follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at lovecitybrewing. Their phone number is 215-398-1900. You'll also see some social media posts, and you can get to them that way as well. But what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to discuss the commodification of social movements and how basically 
companies have used social movements as fodder for ad for advertising their products, making a profit off of a movement, um, just really turning those types of things that were once symbols of power and struggle into, you know, a, a quick fad. So it's, it's a really interesting conversation um, brought to us by Anador. She, she really, she really pushed for this episode and uh, you know, we couldn't have done this one without her. So early shout out to Anador for this. Her one. show notes are amazing. So big shout out to Anador. But before we get into any of that, beer. that's right. What are you drinking, Chris? I am drinking Allagash Triple, Belgian Triple. It is a Belgian-style golden ale triple. (laughs) It's 9%, so that's about like baseline for a triple, I would think. Um, It says passion fruit and honey notes define this complex golden ale. Triple was one of our earliest beers and is made to celebrate the storied Belgian style after which it's named. So it's just kind of like a, it's really just like a standard Belgian triple. It's really nice. Um, You know, whenever I think a Belgian triple, the first thing that comes to mind is Golden Monkey for us because Victory is just right down the road. Um, I've had a few from Allagash. They're out of Portland, Maine. Are you an Allagash guy? Have you uh, had had much Allagash? Yeah, I've had a couple. They're pretty good. Yeah, this is really solid. I would I would probably go for I'd go for right around a four here for this one. Really solid triple. Nice. I am drinking from Toppling Goliath. Ooh. Intergalactic Warrior IPA. I've walked past that a few times and wanted to get it. How is that? This is pretty phantasmal. Um, Ooh, phantasmal. Yeah, Galaxy and Warrior Hops join forces to create a beer with a bitter punch. Big body, bold flavor with a boost of citrus rind and just a kick of spiciness in the finish. Intergalactic Warrior is an Indiana pale ale worth fighting for. Um, The teeniest bit of spice, it's not like spicy, but... um. I, I enjoy it. When you think of an IPA, this is, you know, kind of what's on my mind. It is somewhat like hazy. I see that. Oh. Yeah. So that's that's a little bit of a, a surprise for me. I thought it might be a little cleaner in, yeah. in that regard, yeah. but um I I think it's a solid beer. I would say three seven five, dare I say four. Wow, so that's like a seven for you in terms of anyone else. Yeah, I, I actually really enjoy this. I think Topple and Goliath is one of those breweries that has found a way to just consistently make something good and then recreate it as well. And yeah, shout out to Topple and Goliath who gave us no money. We also gave, didn't ask them for any money. Yeah, yeah exactly. But Hey, Pseudo Sue and King Sue are two of my favorites. And I'm seeing a lot more Toppling Goliath around here these days, actually. So I'm pretty ecstatic about that. So interestingly enough, as I was looking for stuff um, to, to get 
So I signed up for Tabor, right? And I'm getting my first, I should have the first box in by the 20th to 21st of January. And so I can really start like exploring how that went, but I'm paying very close attention to where breweries are because if they're in like New York or if they're like really freaking close, I tend to just like, ah, maybe not this one because it's close enough to go to. And there's a chance that I might see it. And yeah. you know, I don't know if I saw the particular beer, but I saw a beer from one of the breweries and I was just like, I'm not going to take a chance on a beer from a brewery without ever having it. If I can try their beer from time to time. So I made the right decision with that call. Not that I, I didn't, Oh, I did get it. It's just not one of these maybe on the next show. Well, I'll drink one of those, but uh, yeah, it, it's just an interesting experience. I can't wait to get this first box. Yeah, it sounds exciting. Um, it's something I've thought about and looked into before and just never pulled the trigger on it. I, you know, once once when the pandemic hit and everyone was pushed into quarantine, uh, you know, that, that was one of my initial thoughts. <laughs> you know, of all the things I was thinking of, one of my initial thoughts was maybe I should do Taver, Tavor, Tavor. Because I thought, you know, this would be an easy way to get a good amount of different types of beer. Because, you know, you, you didn't know exactly how things were going to shut down, if it was going to be a complete boom, stay inside, like no alcohol at all. So no beer places, no bottle shops, that kind of thing. Because in PA, you know, the liquor stores closed down because they're state stores and the state shut down except for essential workers. <clears throat> so, you know, I was like, oh, is beer next? What's going on? Uh, so that was one of my first thoughts. And I kind of agree with you. It's like, if I'm going to get something sent to me from a service like that, I'd want something that I can't just go out and get on a day trip or a weekend trip. It's got to be something from, you know, out west or down south midwest you know something that's a little further away that i've never i've never heard of or i just haven't had a, a lot of and i can't just go there right really experience it yeah you know exactly um so it, it, it'll be an interesting ride i can't wait to, to share some of these with you uh some of them i got more than one others i just got the one so maybe if, yeah. you're, if i haven't reached it yet but i'm gonna i'm doing reviews on youtube now too to try, oh, yeah. try, try to funnel some support from YouTube over to, to us as well. I, I thought that'd be a good idea. So we'll see how it goes. Anyways, that little bit of rambling for Tabor for free was because we don't have a sample game for anybody today. Yeah, sorry. We, we, it's, it's been a struggle. It's oof, wow. So the whole goal of the Kickstarter was to get this podcasting equipment and better audio equipment and with better audio equipment means more knowledge. <laughs> and while I went to school for communications and I took two audio classes, I still have some issues apparently. So one, if you're out there and you want to learn more about audio engineering or two, you are an audio engineer and you want some experience on a podcast or anything else, <laughs> We uh, we are that opportunity. So if you're in the Reading, 
Lancaster, Philly area and are thinking about getting into podcasting, especially in an audio engineering element, hit us up, let us know, because we are looking to expand the team. Um, disclaimer, it's probably going to be for free until things change, but uh, who knows, especially with yeah. the right people. Yeah, we, we would love to get it to a point where, you know, we could pay people. We, we've, run, we've run some numbers in the past, and, uh, you know, it's going <clears> to <throat> take obviously more than what we're bringing in now, but, you know, we're not, we're, we're not doing it for the money, man. No. And but I, also, like, let's get some money. <laughs> right, but that's a great segue into today's topic. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not doing this for the money. However, it does cost money to do. So let's take a look at what we are talking about. <laughs> Transitions. Ah, uh, yes. Transitions. Yeah. Well, the main, the main point today would be to kind of discuss <clears throat> how companies advertise and push ideas onto the general public to sell sell product, sell an idea, whatever the, whatever the case may be, you know, <clears throat> as I was reading through all of these fantastic notes, like the one thing that popped into my mind that was more recent than just the, the more historical stuff from the sixties on up through the nineties was that fucking Pepsi commercial with, uh, one of the Jenners. Jenner. Yes. No, screw that commercial. Ah, but I do love how every time there is a protest or a riot out there uh, or whatever is happening, uh, everyone seems to ask the question, where's, was it Kylie? Where's Kylie? Yeah, no, it was the other one. Kendall. Kendall. Where's Kendall with her Pepsi? <laughs> to just, to, to just put an end to all of this strife. You know what? Have we checked if she was at the Capitol riot? Or the failed coup. Yeah, let's yeah, exactly. Because the cops were pretty pretty chill. Yeah, they, yeah. Absolutely. They at least had a look alike with a with a can of Pepsi, I would say. Just asking. Hey, it's why I don't like Pepsi. I mean, I hated Pepsi before that, but that was just like, yep, I was right. But like that's one of that's one of the more blatant examples, <clears throat> and just like everything, in you know, in America's history, some ideas become so ingrained that some of these things are almost subconscious, and that's kind of where I think the control aspect comes from. You know, you're you're selling an idea to the point where it, where it becomes part of society and becomes almost like. This is a known fact now. You know what I mean? Uh, and and what we're talking about is it's it's almost like Mad Men, you know, which 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 goes over. I don't know what uh what decade that was. Was that the fifties or is that earlier? Because I never watched Mad Men, but I know it's about the advertising agency and the comeuppance of the advertising agency. Um, <clears throat> and kind of the, the the way that you have to sell to to people it's not just hey this product is great it's hey this product gives you something status 
it shows that you're powerful. It shows that you're attractive. It shows something like that, something that makes you feel more than or included in the general mass or set yourself apart from the general mass. Right. And the time frame was, I think, the 60s to the 70s in Mad Men. Mm. But they talk about Bethlehem Steel in like one of the first episodes, I feel. I don't, you know, it's interesting. I don't know too much about Bethlehem Steel besides they fucked all their workers out of a shit ton of money and just the health issues of being in, around, in and around a steel mill. I mean, yeah, horrible, horrible. You know how much cancer is going around from all that stuff? All of it. Terrible. All of the cancer. All of the cancer. <laughs> We're on fire today, boys. God. You know, we might need that mix and match six pack episode uh, way sooner than anticipated. <laughs> I, I think a uh, a mini breakdown break of the show would be uh, well overdue. We're coming up on two years. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, today is the January of sixteenth. So we're under two months now. We're un yeah, under two months until we hit our two year anniversary, and uh, we've been going strong. Yeah, <laughs> this uh, whole time. Yeah, super proud without patting ourselves on the back. But okay, so the main goal of product marketing, right, is to appeal to people's wants in order to generate the greatest profit. However, when a country is built on an uneven playing field of race, class, gender, what people most want is to be free. Throughout the decades, corporations have been able to capitalize off of this deep desire for liberation with the use of advertising. So that that's going to be a really fun talking point, I think, for this episode, especially since I had the opportunity to work for an advertising company and try to like understand right. and, and look at, you know, what are you selling? How are you, you know, it's always the basis of all advertising, at least to me and how I've been presented is, how do you make this sexy? Right, exactly. Um, and the short answer to that, unfortunately, is you play off people's fears and you play off people's wants. You know, I th and I think fear is a big motivator here because it's you sell some you sell something to say, hey, we know you're scared of this. Well, this can help you feel that you're not going to ever get to that point or, you know, it's going to make you feel like you're part of the group and you don't have to fear this anymore being away from someone or, you know, it, it, it's terribly, it's terrible how much they look at a social issue at the time and jump on that to sell. Right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. It's the fear and it's the desire or like, it's one or the other. It's the love. It's the hate. It's you know. It's mm -hmm. uh, right. It's wrong. It's white. It's black. Alternative. I'm just gonna leave that there for a little bit. Uh, no, it plays on the different subconscious. Like, what what do car commercials do? Do they sell you a car or do they sell you the sex appeal of having a car? Right. They never. Well. Well, see, that's interesting then, because 
there are certain car commercials such as like truck commercials where they're selling you the utility but the underlying thought the underlying piece of that is you're rugged you're strong we're a you're a man kind of thing where and i and i had to just like stop myself on that point because of that because in that instance i think it's far more subconscious now because having a truck and having a, a strong truck that can haul a lot is almost like inherent to to the masculinity of a large subset of people at this point you know whereas there are less thinly veiled there are more thinly veiled ads for cars like like the luxury car commercials you might see where you're really selling this idea of being powerful and strong because you're driving this brand yeah, like Jaguar commercials do that, but also then you got to think about like the newest Buick commercials. It was just like, that's not a Buick. Yeah. Like they even played them, yeah. like they're joking yeah. against themselves to sell a superiority. Because what they're saying to you there is, we are affordable. Buick was always a joke about being an old man's, you know, or yeah, your grandfather's car. But now we're also saying that we are head turners and that if you drive this, not only do they realize that you have, you know, sex appeal, but that once you, once they realize it's a Buick, oh, oh, wow. Good looks and smart. Right, right. And frugal. Yeah. And, and young kid and young people will love it. It doesn't, it's not just an old person thing anymore. It's, I like I always go back to like the Mercedes commercials because it's always someone driving like it's always someone driving in the snow for some reason I I don't understand the winter like car pitch I think it's just because the end of the year and they're trying to get rid of cars but it's there's something about those commercials where it's kind of like it's always just the car driving down the road with the big symbol, you know, on the, on the grill of the car. And like the, the narrator of the commercial can say whatever they want. And they're just using buzzwords the whole time about like strength and, you know, good standing and, you know, making great choices. But the whole time it's just showing a car driving and it could have been any car that didn't do anything special. You know, it didn't, it's not going super fast. It's just driving. I want a commercial in gridlock and not the commercial in gridlock where then the car gets out of gridlock. The, the car commercial in gridlock where it's just like, all right, I'm here for a while. That's what I want. Um, I, I just think that's what, what, what you, we see here is you see, um, these different elements that are hitting at us from every single angle. I'm sure because we're talking about this right now, we're going to get hit up with a bunch of, a bunch of Instagram ads for cars. That's 100% going to happen. Yeah. It's terrifying. Right. So it's all angles. And on top of that, up until recently, I, I, I've seen a decline at this, but up until now, there's been a subtle, even fashion statement with brands. Hmm. What do you mean by that? 
I'm sure you have a Nike hat somewhere. I do. The we like to be human billboards for brands. Mm, that that part for free. That part. Actually, it's not even for free. We buy stuff no, yeah, to it's... advertise for brands to be like, "Oh, I'm a Coke man." No, no, I I don't sell Coke. Oh, oh God. Uh, yeah you picked the wrong one there uh, <laughs> of all the brands you could have picked you went i'm a coke oh the fbi is going to be swarming my house uh, don't don't upload this to instagram it'll get taken down right yeah away. that was funny um but no you are so right and i think that's another piece to this that i wanted to delve into once we kind of go over the background of everything because growing up like brand loyalty that just that phrase brand loyalty like remember when i used to go to the basketball court and i would have like i would have like uh nike nike basketball shoes on i would have probably like a gildan t-shirt or something and like i might have like adidas shorts or something like my one pair of adidas shorts and because the adidas shorts and the nike shoes weren't the same brand everyone would go nice brand recognition or nice uh nice brand loyalty there and it's like that was a negative thing right but it's kind of like personally i was just why we need to to match after we go through all of this history let's get back to that because you know where that's really where i saw it become an issue was within the black community absolutely with the urban community Mm mm-hmm uh, that's where you saw the oh where's your brand loyalty at and I, I think that was a you know it was 100% an invasive intentional marketing strategy and uh, there's a really good podcast called the business of hype and you can learn a lot about uh, I think one of the best phrases I learned there was the stickiness of branding and hyping mm-hmm. your business and, and uh, the stickiness of an idea of how yeah. well like that carries on. So, um, no, it, it's a very interesting subject matter, something that's not necessarily, we talked about brands a lot right here, but marketing is so much bigger. So let's bring this back bring and let's back look at some of these notes that Andor put together. Cause holy shit. Sorry. We're going to geek out over the notes for at least two episodes because we asked her to do something a little different than how we've been putting notes together uh, this whole time. And it's absolutely wonderful. So as we butcher the notes and tear away from the story that she put together, just know anything that does sound cohesive, all her. Yeah, exactly. We just take it and tear it apart like a bunch of animals. And uh, we might get some nutritional value out of it somewhere. If... (laughs) If my soundboard worked, I could put in the animals. <laughs> I'm I'm really I'm really wondering which it's five, right? You you get five chance six, six. I'm wondering what six you're gonna go with. Because I could be cool, like I, it would be nice to add the intro and the outro as like two like this music. To, to yeah, mix you know what though? Back. That's fair. But That's fair, no. No, because that takes away from two potential sound bites. 
Well, remember the part where we said we'd put sound bites in of things that we were discussing as actual like tools to enhance the listener experience. Damn it, you you were right, you know, but you know but the other the other four could be you know what? Let's not worry about that. Where did it start? Where did all this start? Where did it start? Well, Edward Bernays. Right. Uh, the nephew of Sigmund Freud, which is interesting. It's concerning right away. It's extremely concerning because if you know anything about Freud and, and well, for one, even some of like his ideals outside of the whole consciousness piece that he's famous for he's a, he's an odd guy to say the least uh but his nephew edward bernays introduced modern advertising to the world in the late 1920s by applying freud's theories on human behavior to exploit people's subconscious desires and fears uh if you're unfamiliar with freud i know off the top of my head the three sub the three parts of your psyche basically Mm. The id, the ego, and the superego. And id? I believe id. It's Latin. It means it. It's basically your it's basically your primal your primal desires. The id would be. Nothing like your subhuman desires would be what the id is. And then I believe the ego is everything about yourself. Um, and your selfishness mm-hmm. and self-preservation and then super ego would be anything extending to the world outside let me know if i butchered that up but i think i think that's what the three are no i, I think you're absolutely right uh i actually so fun story in high school i bought um a book by Freud, like published work by Freud about uh, the interpretation of dreams. Because mm-hmm. I was really fascinated about that at the time. I remember and this. I opened the book and I was like, oh, maybe I can't handle this right now. It was just like a little <laughs> <laughs> And then recently I wanted to dive into that more and I couldn't find it. Thank God I moved. Yeah, right? Because I found it. Oh. Thought we were going opposite there. Oh, no, I found it. Um, it's not at the apartment yet. That's like one of the boxes that just hasn't made it yet. But it is something that I definitely want to like jump into because I, I do think, um, not necessarily, I don't think Freud had it all figured out. <laughs> but I do like to see different like perceptions of things. And I think that's probably one of the better books to at least start diving into. So anyway, because yeah, anyways, let's uh so this is Freud's nephew, right? Right, Edward Bernays. He then applied those kind of principles that we were talking about and applied that to advertising, right? Right. So basically with a base understanding of what a human wants from the id, what it need what it feels it needs to serve like for self-preservation with the ego and then you know its desires to appease and understand the world around it with the super ego using those things to kind of to kind of play on 
people's, you know, primal needs or wants. And I, I think this is probably, you know, what becomes so fascinating to me. It's yet yeah, to exploit those like subconscious forces. And prior to this, advertising was strictly like, hey, do you need a fork? This fork is great because shit never drops. If you pick it up, like if, if you stick it, you'll never lose it until you wrestle it off your fork. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a good fork. Great fork. And then products became like a symbol or an idea. And it became far less about the functionality of products. And, right. and it became more about how it feeds on this need for dominance or these sexual desires or these things that were living in your subconscious that you just weren't ready to address. And this is like, I I think this is so fascinating because when we talk about anti-blackness that people end up developing, when we talk about homophobia, xenophobia, all these other elements that happen, Advertisement has a lot to do with it. There's a lot of cultural things that have uh, play, that come to play with this, but mm-hmm. also how advertisements work and what they feed on and try to exploit. Absolutely. Develop really problematic when you're talking about body dysmorphia and, and stuff like that. That's because of what do you see when you put on a, when there's a perfume commercial, which I have to ask this, I, I think I asked this on Twitter or something like this, but has there ever been a perfume or a cologne commercial that's made you go, oh, I want that? Never for me. Like, Ever. It, it's weird. You know what it is, Tyler? You know what it is? I feel like, I feel like us younger, like the, the next generation, because the next generation sees this stuff when they're young and they're like, that doesn't make any sense because all of these advertisements push towards adults and young and you know uh young adults they feed off of things that we that we know in our society to be true but 20 years from that and you look back and you're like that doesn't make any sense because right. our frame of reference has changed and now advertisement needs to fo- to morph to something different so i think now like those old cologne commercials and perfume those probably work on older people because their frame of reference is different than ours. I have to ask this question now too. How did we get sold on acts? Well, here's the thing. It just takes enough people to get the trend going. And then everyone else is like, well, they're using acts. I need acts too. Are you saying influencers? I, I mean, I guess if you, I guess. I just don't like I really don't understand because we all yeah axe smells awful too in fact there's a point there's a point where I'm like wait this smells awful why am I using it and I there's probably still three full bottles of it I was gonna say that I have two cans yeah I don't know what to do because I feel like if I recycle it it's gonna hit like something and just go yeah and it's not safe to just spray anywhere really honestly honestly and truly i have another story for another time and place anyways there's um 
when we talk about Bernays and we talk about uh, how, like, for example, a car used to be a tool for transportation, going back to what we were just talking about, cars. It was a tool for transportation. After his work, the car became a symbol of dominance and the sexual, like, sexuality and power. Um, and this is all, not all based off of, but there, there is a link that we're going to leave in the show notes that has a lot of this information pulled from a documentary called The Century of Self. And that's gonna be a YouTube video. So you can check that out in the link below. Am I getting better at YouTube? Is that how we do that? Yeah, right. Don't forget to comment and subscribe, hit the bell, receive all the, the things. We're not YouTubers yet, guys. And I, I guess the last thing in this section to like really note was Things throughout history have always been used as a sign of status, but only for a certain class, depending on where you're looking at. Like there was, there was certain class structures that were like, oh, look at the car I have. That wasn't necessarily like your lower income families who probably weren't really driving to begin with. But when you're looking at like, oh, you have a new Mercedes? Have you seen my Maserati? Right, right. There, there's levels to it is, wow. is basically what it comes down right. to. Because Even with like kitchen utensils and appliances and stuff like that, that was a thing. But as, the, as technology increases and is easier to put out and your music that you listen to in a car is now you know, Bluetooth, and it's not just Bluetooth the first time it came out, but it's Bluetooth as a standard um, option. Yeah, yeah, it's just there. In your car. These things have become so much more of a status symbol. It, it, it's just really interesting to me to, like, watch that behavior. Absolutely. I kind of like my Jeep because it's not that. It's not a lot of things, Tyler. I'm not a hipster. Efficient is not efficiency is one of them. Yes, but I I, I agree because back like back in the olden days, purple was a sign of royalty. Why? Because purple is expensive and hard to get. It's these types of things. You have you have silverware made out of gold and and silver, which is which is where silverware comes from things made out of silver, which is, is it's horrific. It's it's silver is not a good metal to make, you know, to make tools out of, you know, gold's worse for sure. But, you know, it, it's something like that. We, we aren't doing something for the utility of it at this point. We're doing it because we can, I think that's probably, that's probably the most overarching thing in terms of status is we have this because we can, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing additional about it. Right. No one wants to own the Toyota Corolla, but it's probably what you should own. Yo, don't hate on the, well, no, the Corolla is like a tiny box. Get the Camry. I'm sorry. The Camry. No one wants the Camry, but everyone probably should have the Camry. I almost had a Corolla, and it, I got into it, and I feel like I almost got, I got like punched in the face when closing the door. 
my head was like here but the camry which is the larger slightly larger version yes shout out to hungdo you know what's interesting i i was um driving through philly recently and i was just like the original thought was sorry like it smelled it smells but i'm pouring it okay this will be interesting uh the original thought was there's no reason for my Jeep Cherokee in the city of Philadelphia. And then I hit potholes. And you were like, oh yeah. I have done so much more off-roading in the city. Dude, like this is this is the crazy thing. You could market off-roading vehicles to people who live in the city because Hello, have you ever seen people in Hondas driving down the street in Reading? What are they doing? <laughs> they're, they're like slaloming around all the potholes and all the pieces. Whereas like you and I, we're just like directly. You're, I am. Yeah, but you're like that anyway. <laughs> it's just like nothing changed. But it's, but it's interesting because for utilities sake, you would want, say, the Jeep, right? The Jeep, something that's an off-roading vehicle. They, they'll sell a Jeep Wrangler, right? As an off-roading vehicle out in the wilderness. But to be completely honest, I've, I feel like most Jeep Wrangler people never take it off-roading because it be, it's become a status symbol. It is. It's a, it's a cult. It's a cult. It, it really is a cult. And... That, but once again, it's not about its utility because for its utility, you could market it to the inner city people who have to drive down all these fucked up roads and say, hey, dri- this car can handle these fucked up roads. Get this car for its utility. But you don't see that. One, because they're charging an exorbitant amount for that car. And they assume people of people in the inner city don't have the buying power for it. But there's also a cult established around the brand itself for something other than its utility. Bottom line. So that's that's really important to to kind of frame in this whole thing that it's never it it, it it's it's never about the utility anymore. Right. That's the big shift in this advertising. So as I was thinking about advertisement and I was thinking about like Mad Men and how things have been used, um, the next point that was put into the notes was about uh, liberation, commodifying liberation of like a a section of people. So we talked about Mm -hmm. cars. Objects. This point uh, being one of the biggest, like an easy, easiest to identify as uh, this advertisement ploy and how we're constantly being like shoved, it's shoved down our throats. This next point I think is interesting because it's, it was more towards um, our, our generation, like where this, I think, died down. You still see it subtly throughout movies and media, but you don't see it shoved down your throat the way it used to be. And this is when we're talking about cigarettes. And this- yes. More specifically, in 1929, Bernays was commissioned by the American Tobacco Company to increase sales by marketing cigarettes to women, which was something that was 
taboo for women to do at the time really was to smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. Um, so this encouraged them to actually do that. And, um, through doing that, it was, it was looking at like the, would would that be women's suffrage? No. Yeah. Um, no, no, I don't think so. Well, we should know this. We should know this. And you know, this is why we say we don't read. But also women's suffrage came like so far later than you would think it should have that I like psych myself out sometimes because it came way later than a lot of things. Oh, you know what's interesting? So doing my Google shit, you know, legal right of women to vote was established in the U.S. over the course of more than half a century, first in various states and local localities, and sometimes on a limited basis, and then nationally in 1920. So when you're talking about legal, like women's suffrage in terms of like voting, 1920 was a huge thing. So I can see why that, and then in 1929 was a huge marketing. So right, they're like, oh hey, women are fighting for equality here let's try to get them into cigarettes because there's a market that's an untapped market. And that's what what is that? That's power. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Right. So Bernays established that a cigarette represents the independence and autonomy that came along with manhood power. Cigarettes were then marketed as torches of freedom. And sales (laughs) doubled. It's nuts. It's nuts. That, <laughs> yeah, it's nuts that these things actually worked. But to be on, to be fair, if you go back to that time, what else was being done like it to, you know, to compare to? Like now we have all of this history to say, oh, they're just preying on our insecurities and fears or our, or, or our aspirations. Back then, you know, you're you're still not too far removed from the advertisements that are just telling you what this thing does. It's very new. So to to see this, it's like, oh, well, if they say it's a symbol of power, I guess it is, especially because it was reserved for a particular group up until a certain point. So now you're preying on the insecurities and the inequality that exists already to bring in more people thinking, oh, this is what equality is. Equality is me going to have a cigarette with my husband. You know what I mean? It's, it, it's changing with the times, always one step ahead of the curve in terms of getting people into a product that was off limits to a particular group of people. And so as we go from women you know and then we go over to another group of people which would be black people and how right you know people this one was in the show notes and this one stood out the most to me but so we're all familiar with Mm -hmm. the black power phrase Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) and then i think it was jc penny they co-opted or like they they stole it and they used it for profit essentially and had an advertisement that was slack power slack power and you know what really annoyed me about this whole this whole thing because it's not just like you have so many tropes in here to to feed off of you have 
you have the stolen phrase of black power. You have a shirtless black man. So you have the sexualization of the black male figure, right? And they're called post-grad slacks. They're trying to feel off of, hey, you buy our slacks, you're smart. You can, you can, you can be post-grad. Right. You know, you can be educated like the white people before you who were allowed to do that. You you're now with us. Come with us, JC Penny and our ugly as fuck plaid slacks. I'd rock those though. You would. I would. I knew there was always an air of JC Penny of like racism, like that I never like vibed with. Yeah. Sure. I mean, by our time, it was it was kind of just like the generic store that was just like every other generic store sure. that had an owner who was awful, such as Boss Cops. An owner. That's right. Uh, no, so you said something. It was that that co-oping the uh, stealing of a phrase, that black power, and basically mm-hmm. taking the meaning behind of it and using it for something different. That reminds me of what happened at the failed coup in. DC, the I can't breathe chant. Yeah. And the say her name chant. It yeah, it's it's crazy how pe- people like that one aren't smart enough to come up with their own thing, but also they're they're so ready to just jump on what has become popularized, a phrase, a moment, something like that has become popularized and really just like and really just work to make fun of that particular thing. And it's extremely base. It's extremely, uh, well, superf- superfluous, yes. But uh, it's base and superficial, I guess is what I'm... There's no real critique there for those people. It's literally just primal anger and hatred. There's no nuance there. Yes. I'm sorry, I agree with that. It, it's uh, it's very interesting, you know, as we look at this this episode and we continue down these different talking points. Um, it, it's the, I, I think, advertising does something that's harder to explain. Um, it's just simply hard to explain because there are thoughts and ideas that we say kind of point blank period. And if, and to say it like that makes people uncomfortable. But if, if people actually dissect what's being sold to them, it's the realization that's true. So like the phrase, you know, Marquise always says this, you know, culture changes before policy, right? Oh my God, all the time. Right. So, and, and this is the idea behind it, is black culture pushes society. It is the reason that your pop radio sounds the way it does. Mm-hmm. And so you even see this then with um, how they commodify social movements and social justice movements. And, and, and so for this, it's the hairdo. When that black Afrocentrism like when that all hit, and then you see mm-hmm. that become market, like marketable, yeah. especially then later as that, that, that callback. I, I think that's really interesting. There, there's a lot of elements at play here when we talk about culture 
pushes shit forward. And I, I yes. Yes. Um, and one of the, one of those, you, you, you brought up the Afrocentrism. There's, there's a piece in here about an, an ad that actually featured what appears to be an Angela Davis knockoff yeah. <laughs> with the Afro being front and center and this, like this rebellious anger and they're selling the the rebel factor right they're selling black anger right absolutely they're selling black anger and it comes back it comes back down to black people will have to fight for equality in some small area they win a tiny piece of the pie and because it's a slight victory there are moderate people who think okay we've done it we've done it we're good we're hopping on and joining you. This this little piece of work that you all did in this small amount of time was fantastic. And now we're on board with it. And so advertisers like and companies are like, oh, okay, these people like it now. This is the new wave. How can we market? How can we market that towards them? Because these people here, the modern people the people who are on the other side that kind of sympathize a little bit, they don't quite understand the depth of the struggle of black people in America, but they see, they see the surface level of it. Now they're vulnerable to the surface level advertising that comes with that. And they hop on the trend. That's how I see it. No, I, I think if we even continue this historical timeline forward, mm-hmm. you can see it happening in modern day when we use platforms like social media, um, which could, they have the potential for so much power and impact, but because there's so much money behind advertisement, uh, again, the culture that gets put in place, the, the very real change that can be made gets commodified. It, it gets it's hijacked. It's hijacked. I would say it's hijacked. Right. So like even looking at Kaepernick when, when he knelt and created this huge division within this industry, within the sports industry, which was actually fascinating to watch in real time. Like this is 100% a historical like textbook moment. Yes. Should be. And should be. Um, yeah. to watch it and see how things play out is very interesting because then you have the Nike ads that come out with Kaepernick. And on a surface level, this is like, oh, look, Nike got behind Kaepernick. They're really like backing this person and this idea and social change to see how much money they made off of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, when this ad came out, it blew my mind a little bit because I kind of thought Colin Kaepernick to be a little, a little smarter than to run to like not to run to nike i i think he might have even already been signed under nike when he was actually playing um because he had a he had a great couple of year run there before he started kneeling um and then he got blackballed after that and you know i i thought him to be a little more susceptible less susceptible to this type of thing um a lot of people came out and they praised Nike and it's, and you know what? Cool. Nike did it. You know, they, 
they stood behind Kaepernick when a lot of other companies were saying, no, we don't want anything to do with it. We're backing up. We're be, you know, and while, okay, cool. Nike, Nike supported him, I guess. But when you really sit back and think about it, how much money does Nike have? How strong does that people don't even realize Jordan brand is Nike. Like a shit ton of people don't understand that. It's like Jordan is like Nike is Jordan. It's, it's, it's the same brand. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much market power, how much staying power, how much money Nike actually has. They could afford to do this. And they knew they would lose the fringe support, but they knew what they were gaining in, in the long run, they were gaining more support for people who were susceptible and who weren't perceptive enough to say that, hello, they're just trying to sell to us. Instead, they're saying, oh, you know, Nike's down. We knew Nike was down. It was like, you know, you could say what you want, uh, like basketball wise about LeBron and Jordan, but if there's one thing that LeBron kicks Jordan's ass with, it's being socially conscious Mm. because Jordan just took the Nike, took what it was from Nike and just ran with it. And you don't hear, yeah, you don't hear too much about what he did for black people when he was playing. He's come out a, a little more recently now and become a little more aware, but it doesn't really feel like he's done anything. It feels like Nike might've had a little influence on that too. Yeah. And not like, I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's, it seemed That's like, how you're feeling. It, it seemed like this summer it was the popular thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that's, that's kind of my point. Like you could like, you could say what you want about LeBron not being nearly as great as Jordan, but for my money in terms of complete impact in his, in his prime in his generation off the court, LeBron has spoken out against everything, every type of social issue that's ever come. So it's it's interesting that you you say all these things, right? Because Marquise and I just last week did a Instagram live. Uh, we do our coffee conversations, and yes. we just watched the one night in Miami uh, film that's on Amazon Prime that Angela Davis, uh, Angela Davis. Or, Regina King? Regina King. The fuck am I talking about? Regina King directed. We were talking about Angela Davis. I'm drunk. Um, (laughs) And we were looking at um, Jim Brown, the the Browns player. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I was speaking about, you know, when Jim Brown decided to leave the NFL and pursue acting and, you know, taking power into his own hands, so to speak, was saying like, you're, you're calling on me to return to practice. Won't allow for this outside stuff. You know, I kind of, I'm making you money. I'm going to go make money. You know, I, I thought that was a really interesting, like take at that really sets a tone and starts a very slow snowball in terms of having, I'm taking my talents to South beach mm. conversation from going to, I'm going to go work in movies to I'm still going to be in the league, but I'm dictating this and I'm going to make a spectacle out of this. 
Mm-hmm. I think there's this really interesting, like, oh, you know, what started as this created more of a power for players. And I think that's an interesting look. And so as we're having this conversation, there was, you know, how do you, from this whole film, there was a conversation amongst like, okay, do you need to operate within a structure that wasn't meant for you to operate in? Do you do it all from outside? Like, how do you attack all these angles at once? And a question was presented to us along the lines of, um, is there anything that you see that works within and without, like in uh, outside of a social structure or a political structure, um, but also is very community centric at the same time. And there's all these nuanced like elements to what what organization existed like that. And Mark, I'll leave the link below to watch this whole conversation. But Marquise brought up, he was just like, oh, the Black Panther Party. Because mm-hmm. they worked very much, like they understood the law. And that's what made them powerful. But then they also gave back to the community. Their educating the community was for that community specifically. And they worked outside of what your normal like thought process was meant, was meant to be. Absolutely. Um, one, we've talked about working should you work inside the system that wasn't meant for you do you work outside of it completely is there a two-pronged attack that you can do where people work within the system and people work without outside of the system and how does that coexist together Uh, but that's a different conversation for another day but back to your point on the black panther party which was operating outside of that structure really um it's interesting how it's interesting how uh, Black Panthers have been pretty much written out of history mm-hmm. outside of them being a terrorist organization, right? That's the really the only... The only, they, only, yeah, only time that the NRA had a problem with gun rights. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, gun laws were made to stop the Black Panther Party. I'll just leave that. There. So there's that. <laughs> Let that breathe. It's interesting. Uh, it's interesting here to kind of the idea of Black Panther the movie kind of overtaking the Black Panther Party, and I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on that idea. The idea that Black Panther was, you know, it was only okayed by Disney because it was good enough to not, or you know, to not ruffle enough feathers. I, I think what, what we saw with Black Panther, like, okay, the difference between like Black Panther and Black Panther Party, right, is Black Panther Party was very much more us first them almost. And in my- like Radical. Right. You would say radical. Right. Where Black Panther, the whole idea became so much more from uh, the opposite way, where it was like Black Panther starting off with just us. Like, that's all we need to take care of to, you know, they're, throughout the whole world there is us that we mm-hmm. and it was still very like derivative of like black people on a global scale but I, I i saw i could potentially see on the other end where it's just talking about like oh through proxy of giving to black people around the world which means you give to everyone everybody yeah around that and and We're gonna work with everybody in a more mm-hmm. co- cohesive way and it's again it's like Hopefully, we have a conversation with Evil Genius coming up. Yes. And I want to talk about 
their stance on like we really want to promote peacefulness amongst everybody no matter what the situation i was like oh so even when peace like has never been offered to others and there was always violence against one group and now you want the other you want the group that had violence and acted on them consistently right to turn the other cheek Mm -hmm. which is we we need a martin malcolm like whole conversation in itself we need we need who these people truly were exactly because while malcolm is painted as this crazy angry radical and martin's painted as this pacifier they were closer than you might think in terms of what they actually believe it's just how they were slight differences of how they were going to go about it but it wasn't like martin was like i love white people all the white people in the world let's just do this we're cool you know america you're doing great we we just need to change a few things. If you could just listen to me for half a second, we could do it. No, no, that's 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 not at all what he thought. And we've already discussed ad nauseum about how his mem- remembrance has been hijacked as we go into Martin Luther King Jr. Day mm-hmm. um, coming up. You know, the way that he's been hijacked is is something crazy to see, uh, but. My thought on Black Panther one, I still need to see it. Oh, I absolutely. I haven't outside seen of it. all these things that we talked about. I absolutely loved it. Black Panther, one of my favorite things. I I cried. I I haven't seen it. I just I know generally of the idea of one person saying we need to be us and it needs to stay here for us, and the other one's like, well, you know, there's other black people out there, and we need to kind of but once that that idea can be like you said it can be hijacked yeah if we're not very clear to saying oh look black panther meant that he wanted all of us to not to just kind of stay complacent this is what it is we're here for everyone let's not make a big fuss of these issues or the history here i think there's a thing about this black black panther was huge like that movie was huge and for very good reasons and it did show a lot of really Good, like it had a lot of really good spiritual things for me. Um, there, there's a lot of positives that come out of that movie. However, at the end of the day, who is it making money for? Right. And so I, I, I need to be very clear, someone who's watched it and who is going to critique this type of element on it. There, there needs to be room for both. You need to be able to critique something at this type of level, but you also have to understand how positive, like, Right, there's positivity there. For everything that he has done, we talked about him for a little bit on some of our episodes. Like what he did culturally for us through 42, through um, Get On Up, through Black Panther was tremendous. And Black Panther is a tremendous Black movie to me, while at the same time seeing the other elements of it. So this is a playing the uh, playing the game inside the lanes, while at the same mm-hmm. time having to critique it for just that absolutely once again you can't don't you can't trash the whole thing the way it is but just understand that hey this was created and this was created inside of the system by the system in a sense and the ideals at play here were let's work outside of the system and let's work inside of the system but they can coexist and you know they can they can kind of work together is kind of what 
I would take from that idea of, hey, we need to stay away from everyone else and just worry about ourselves versus, hey, all these other people are out there too. They need, they need all of the work that we're doing. You, how do you balance those two? But, you know, the negative piece of Black Panther, obviously, is that it's going to overshadow the Black Panther Party in history. The big issue there being, oh, you want you want to? No, I think you're absolutely yeah. right. I'm just going gonna, gonna to let you continue. Yeah. Well, so Anador points out the fact that she Googled Black Panther. And of course, the first few pages had absolutely nothing to do with Black Panther Party. Right. And I found that one, I found that interesting, but also not surprising because Google runs relevancy. But then you think about it and it's kind of like, okay, well, if no one else is going to be talking about the Black Panther Party, you know, where else are you going to get this information? And it kind of ran, ran the fact that, hey, we have to discuss the fact that, hey, this, this Black Panther movie and the idea of Black Panther, the superhero, the way that it in, indirectly and, in, you know, unintentionally maybe has caused Black Panther Party, the actual history from an accessibility standpoint, it's been pushed back a little bit. And it's a very interesting thing because it's not something we think about often. We, we just go to, especially us from our generation or younger that know how to search for things on the internet, where, you know, if I want to learn about the Black Panther Party personally, just typing in Black Panther, I wouldn't expect it to get me anywhere proper. Right. But for other people and that and that also assumes that I have prior knowledge of the Black Panther Party. Oh, let's talk about that for a second. Before we do, you poured out a new beer. Please explain what you just poured out. Well, I just finished it. It's Sunday Feels Mm. from Mm. Dogfish Head. It is an ale brewed with voignier grape juice, peaches, blood, oranges, lemon, oranges, and lime peel. Interesting. I am drinking Concert Mode by Definitive Brewing Company. Uh, It's a double dry hops. Double dry hops IPA. That's what I've been sipping on for a little bit here, but that that's great. What's your What's your ABV? Uh, I'm 6.5 over here. Ha! 6.9. Nice. Sorry. It's fine. So, the the if you're even taught about it, kind of conversation yeah. is where we're at, and I kind of, you know, we're, we're at this point where we probably should wind down for this episode. Yeah. Um, but I think that's something that we need to focus on again is uh, we speak on education as a huge component of, you know, 
justice in itself and, and all these different elements that we talk about. Uh, I, I think we do need to have the, what it, I mean, we sort of did. We had the like, how is black history taught in schools and talking about the omission or the requirements that are, are needed. So again, the Black Panther Party, I don't know if we actually zoomed in on that in terms of curriculum across the US, but I think that's something that definitely should have played a bigger role, especially in America. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and family that was very heavily involved. Yeah. In, uh, well, I don't know if I have, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but we've discussed, we've discussed very narrowly on this podcast the history curriculums of many states in the country for just the Civil War, which is arguably it's weird because it's it's further in the past so it there's it's not as volatile of a subject anymore because it's so far in the past but also there's more time for the facts to get misconstrued in the same breath um and honestly those two timelines are very different like they're one, once all the people are two generations away from the civil from the civil war now you know sorry so during this recording not only did kaylee come in with craft beer for me but so did my other roommate so i just got a craft beer haul and i'm i'm not crying you're crying continue i'm crying about the fact that no <laughs> um no it you know once once you're say two generations away removed from an event you know the anger and the emotions of that start to dissipate a little bit more because i can understand i can see that one generation removed okay you had a father or a mother that experienced this and you know you have a first-hand experience whereas two generations removed you still might have a grandparent but that's not the case for everyone that would be able to give you a firsthand experience of the situation and what really happened. So we're still in this pocket where there were people in, there were people, there are people like technically in our generation who were alive at that point, right? I don't know how they do generations anymore, but we have first, we at least have firsthand experiences that we can pull from to understand the Black Panther Party and what they were actually doing. But all I know is uh, when we talk yeah. about this type of stuff, because I was talking with the, about Mark, I keep bringing this conversation because we watched the, the play, well, the movie uh, that was adapted from the play one night in Miami. Highly suggest you watch that. Um, but I was talking about, like, I, I tend to think about players like that. I, I think about Sam Cooke. I think about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. You know, these, these people that didn't get an opportunity to see where we are now. And the question being like, what would their perception be? Like, how, how do they think? How would have they thought? And I say all of that with forgetting sometimes that Angela Davis is still alive. Right. And that's not spoken. But for me, this is the history. This is what's being taught. And that's not... Mm -hmm. presented well enough that's not it's not again they it's don't not. even focus on angela davis the way they should 
Right. We know more about the ins and outs of like the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, Lewis and Clark, like all that type of shit, which is cool. That's fantastic. That's how our country is shaped the way it is and the land we have. But there are things that are far more consequential to our lives right now that don't get the time of day that some of those older events do. Thanks. Especially world history. Like I understand the fact that it's important to understand world history because there are a lot of there are a lot of issues, social issues that come along with knowing world history. The the tensions in the world aren't weren't built twenty years ago. And they not were built just, two centuries not ago. Not just like Holocaust world history, like yeah, because that one's a given and and a lot of motherfuckers in this country don't even didn't even get that part right. Right. And, and and that's what it is for me. It's again, it's world history doesn't mean history that directly involves the US. Right. Like the US is is a baby compared to some of these other countries. And we act like it. Yeah, we do. But I'm talking about world history and the fact that like the term the rape of Africa, like that is a real, that's a term that I could say, well, that's fitting. If you know the history of Africa, Europeans just went in there like they owned the place and started using tribes as their pawns, using the people that lived there as their pawns to do whatever the hell they wanted. So it's one of those things. It's like, we really don't emphasize enough the important things from a black standpoint that could really educate our youth and it's intentional you know for sure 100 um to wrap this episode up andor had amazing notes so i'm just going to read through consequences down to end this up and then quick, quick one more shout out to love city and then we'll call it a day so, but um, consequences of everything. Uh, oh, then I have one question to pose towards you. I lied. Uh, but the consequences of everything racism becomes profitable. Absolutely. Because you have, because you have fears and anger being exploited. exploited. You have mass desacralization of culture. Ah, now, now I can read the word. <laughs> Beer, gotcha. <laughs> ah, perpetuate no the, the cycle of oppression. Got anything for that? Uh, yes. Uh, perpetuate the cycle of oppression. No, like w- once again, it comes back to like you. Advertisement is either capitalizing on "Hey, we've made it," which desensitizes you to the fact that there are still issues left to handle. Or it's feeding off of the anger from the higher group coming down, saying, hey, you need, you're, you know, you're not safe. You need this. You're not safe yet. Speaking of higher groups, corporations' interests have never and will never lie with the people. Oh, no, especially not in, uh, especially not in a capitalist society. I mean, that's literally an oxymoron. That's true. The way that we're structured. 
Right. And then true liberation can never be made under corporations control capitalism. So like, yeah, cap- capitalism is basically that. Fuck. Right. And I, I think a lot of us still like have problems. I think I'm probably one of those two people too. Um, trying to think outside of capitalism. I, I, I know for certain every time I think of a new idea or anything like that, I'm still operating under this construct. Well, it's difficult because on one hand, you kind of have to, because that's where, that's what we live in. You, you have, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, gain control of something or make a profit somewhere, it's, it sort of has to be done in, in that way. If it's like, that's at least the easy route. Right. And and it's and it's difficult to kind of work against that if you're in it. You know what? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna summarize the rest of this episode in her work in Andor's words in this the summary. And then I'm gonna propose this question to you next episode. So I'm gonna hold that out. We'll start the next episode with this question as it pertains to this episode. So if you want to hear our last thoughts about what we were talking about now, tune into the next episode. Um, but here we go to wrap up. Ooh, that's smart. I like how you did that. Capitalism. Um, <laughs> the idea of a brand or a product being a valuable tool for social justice is merely a facade of liberation. The use of civil rights and advertising appropriates the very moments being advocated for in the first place. In this way, the injustices that led to such movements are simultaneously depoliticized and morphed into a selling point for brands. The space between social justice and the semblance of equality leaves a glamorized prop for brands to profit from. As a result, social justice is replaced by a watered down form of activism instated by complacent brands who continue to profit from the existence of inequality. Hold up, she found us. How did we not find her? She she found us at a brewery somehow. Imagine that. Not hard to find us at a brewery. No, uh, just in in summary, this episode is really interesting. Um, It's funny. We had this decided on prior that we were going to talk about this subject, but I have had a couple conversations pop up as of late that kind of piggyback off of what we talked about today. And what becomes so hard about all the episodes that we do is we some somehow tend to talk about very broad ideas. And we, I think you and I both recognize how nuanced and delicate everything all these subject matters truly are and that there's so many things to really pick apart. And so I just hope that this ends up being a stepping stone for people to want to learn more about different ideas. Yeah, I I completely agree. Um, I would say, you know, I once, I took a class on modern TV, modern media and the way that race and gender are, uh, portrayed mm-hmm. in that. Um, and I really wish I still had the textbook for that because that would have been perfect for this episode. Yes. But once again, it comes back to don't don't see a big corporation doing something and assume it's being done for the greater good and not just for profit. And 
really understand like when someone says something general about a particular group of people that just seem just sounds like oh yeah yeah those people are definitely like that like really think about and try to find out where does that come from right. is that an actual is that actually like scientifically proven or is it just some social construct that was created for profit 20 30 40 years ago that survives to this day because of how effective it was and we see that with black people love watermelon and we see that now, and we saw that with the smoking ads back in the day, how prevalent prevalent smoking became among everyone for a while. And why was that a big thing? It was a symbol of like power and freedom. There, there was sex behind it as well. There, there was oh, of course. Yeah. All, all of it's always, there's sex behind everything always when it comes to advertising. But, sex is behind everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, but that's kind of, that's what I would that's kind of what I would take away from this is whenever you hear a broad statement about a group of people really think about how how that idea came to be where right. does that come from it's not is it actually a fact or is it a social construct of profit right and so no, I think that's a perfect place to like jump off from. Um, well, I have a question for you that I will ask on the next episode. But again, just uh, wanting to thank everybody that made it this far. If you have made it this far, then you're going to hear this one more time because these people were instrumental in uh, allowing us to have the equipment that we weren't able to use today. Um, Love City Brewing Company, located in Philadelphia. You know, they, they definitely are uh, a brewery that is trying, I, I think, very well to be a beer for everybody. You know, create that beer is for everybody. They offer quality beer and a welcoming and accessible tap room in the heart of Philly. It's like right around like that, right off Chinatown, essentially, because that they're located on 1023 Hamilton Street in Philly. So uh, definitely check them out. Their phone number is 215-398-1900. You can check out their website, lovecitybrewing.com. If you need to get in contact with them, you can email them at info at lovecitybrewing.com. And you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at lovecitybrewing.com. Not .com, just at lovecitybrewing. Yeah, I'm doing well. But again, thank you guys for listening to this episode. I am Tyler. Thank you. I'm Chris. And until next time. Peace.